Long History Francis Drake's Voyage About the World Part 17 The Sumptuous King of Ternate Hello everyone and welcome to episode 17 of Long History's The Voyage About the World a description of Francis Drake's famous voyage which took place from the 15th of November 1577 to the 26th of September 1580. Here at Long History we break up historic source documents into chunks of 10 minutes or so. These are eyewitnesses to the events that took place. We've now reached episode 17 of this document, so look out for episode 1 if you want to start from the beginning, and subscribe to be notified of the remaining episodes to come. In this series there are 20 episodes altogether. The text used here was written by men who took part in the voyage of Francis Drake, being created from the notes of Master Francis Fletcher, a preacher, and others. The previous episode covered a lot of ground as Drake and his men crossed the whole of the Pacific. They visited Palau, the southern Philippines, and eventually reached Ternate, one of the Spice Islands in today's Indonesia. The English had been heading for another Spice Island called Tidore, but the King of Ternate, on the rival island, sent a messenger inviting the English to his island. The other island in the meantime was in league with the Portuguese. In this episode, the English accept that invitation and finally meet the king himself. While they were delivering their message to us, our messenger was coming to the court, who, being met by the way by certain noble personages, was with great solemnity conveyed into the king's presence, at whose hands he was most friendly and graciously entertained. And having delivered his errand, together with his present unto the king, the king seemed to him to judge himself blameworthy, that he had not sooner hasted in person to present himself to our general, who came so far and from so great a prince. And presently, with all expedition, he made ready himself with the chiefest of all his states and counsellors, to make repair unto us. The manner of his coming, as it was princely, so truly it seemed to us very strange and marvellous. Serving at the present not so much to set out his own royal and kingly state, which was great, as to do honour to her highness, to whom we belonged, wherein how willingly he employed himself, the sequel will make manifest. First, therefore, before his coming, did he send off three great and large canoes, in each whereof were certain of the great personages that were about him, attired all of them in white lawn, or cloth of colour cut, having over their heads, from one end of the canoe to the other, a covering of thin and fine mats, borne up by a frame made of reeds, under which every man sat in order according to his dignity. The hoary heads of many of them set forth the greater reverence due to their persons, and manifestly showed that the king used the advice of a grave and prudent counsel in his affairs. Besides these were diverse others, young and comely men, a great number attired in white, as were the other, but with manifest differences, having their places also under the same covering, but in inferior order as their calling required. The rest of the men were soldiers, who stood in comely order round about on both sides, on the outside of whom, again, did sit the rowers in certain galleries, which, being three on each side, all alongst the canoe, did lie off from the side thereof, some three or four yards, one being orderly builded lower than the other, in every of which galleries was an equal number of banks, whereon did sit the rowers, about the number of four score in one canoe. In the forepart of each canoe sat two men, the one holding a tabret, the other a piece of brass, whereon they both at once stroke, and, observing a due time and reasonable space between each stroke, by the sound thereof directed the rowers to keep their stroke with their oars, as, on the contrary, the rowers ending their stroke with a song, gave warning to the others to strike again, and so continued they their way with marvellous swiftness, neither were their canoes naked or unfurnished of warlike munition. They had each of them at least one small cast piece, 
of about a yard in length, mounted upon a stock which was set upright. Besides, every man except the rowers had his sword, dagger and target, and some of them some other weapons as lances, calivers, bows, arrows and many darts. These canoes, coming near our ship in order, rowed round about us one after another, and the men, as they passed by us, did us a kind of homage with great solemnity. The greatest personages beginning first, with reverent countenance and behaviour, to bow their bodies even to the ground. They put our own messenger aboard us again, and signified to us that their king, who himself was coming, had sent them before him to conduct our ship into a better road, desiring a holster to be given them forth, that they might employ their service as their king commanded, in towing our ship therewith to the place assigned. The king himself was not far behind, but he also, with six grave and ancient fathers in his canoe approaching, did at once, together with them, yield us a reverend kind of obeisance, in far more humble manner than was to be expected. He was of a tall stature, very corpulent and well set together, of a very princely and gracious countenance. His respect amongst his own was such that, neither his viceroy or mutir aforenamed, nor any other of his counsellors, durst speak unto him but upon their knees, not rising again till they were licensed. Whose coming, as it was to our general no small cause of good liking, so was he received, in the best manner we could, answerable unto his state. Our ordinance thundered, which we mixed with great store of small shot, among which sounding our trumpets and other instruments of music, both of still and loud noise, wherewith he was so much delighted, that requesting our music to come unto his boat, he joined his canoe to the same, and was towed at least a whole hour together with the boat at the stern of our ship. Besides this, our general sent him such presents, as he thought might both require his courtesy already received, and work a farther confirmation of that good liking and friendship already begun. The king being thus in musical paradise, and enjoying that wherewith he was so highly pleased, his brother, named Moro, with no less bravery than any of the rest, accompanied also with a great number of gallant followers, made the like repair and gave us like respect, and his homage done, he fell astern of us till we came to anchor. Neither did our general leave his courtesy unrewarded, but bountifully pleased him also before we parted. The king, as soon as we were come to anchor, craved pardon to be gone, and so took his leave, promising us that the next day he would come aboard, and in the meantime would prepare and send such victuals as were requisite and necessary for our provision. Accordingly the same night, and the morrow following, we received what was there to be had in the way of traffic, to wit, rice in pretty quantity, hens, sugar canes, imperfect and liquid sugar, a fruit which they call figo, Magellan calls it a fig of a span long, but is no other than that which the Spaniards and Portugals have named plantains, cocos, and a kind of meal which they call sago, made of the tops of certain trees, tasting in the mouth like sour curds, but melts away like sugar, whereof they make a kind of cake, which will keep good at least ten years. Of this last we made the greatest quantity of our provision. For a few clothes we did also traffic, whereof, for a small matter, we might have had greater store than we could well tell where to bestow. But our general's care was that the ship should not be too much pestered or annoyed therewith. At the time appointed, our general, having set all things in order to receive him, looked for the king's return, who, failing in both time and promise, sent his brother to make his excuse, and to entreat our general to come on shore his brother being the while to remain aboard, as a pawn for his safe restoring, or general could willingly have consented, if the king himself had not first broke his word. The consideration whereof bred an utter disliking in the whole company, 
who by no means would give consent he should hazard himself, especially for that the king's brother had uttered certain words in secret conference with our general aboard his cabin, which bred no small suspicion of ill intent. Our general, being thus resolved not to go ashore at that time, reserved the viceroy for a pledge, and so sent certain of his gentlemen to the court, both to accompany the king's brother and also with special message to the king himself. They, being come somewhat near unto the castle, were received by another brother of the king's and certain others of the greater states, and conducted with great honour towards the castle, where, being brought into a large and fair house, they saw gathered together a great multitude of people, by supposition at least a thousand, the chief whereof were placed round about the house, according as it seemed to their degrees and calling, the rest remained without. The house was in form four square, covered all over with cloth of diverse colours, not much unlike our usual pentados, borne upon a frame of reeds, the sides being open from the ground cell to the covering, and furnished with seats round about. It seems it was their council house, and not commonly employed to any other use. At the side of this house, next unto the castle, was seated the chair of state, having directly over it, and extending very largely every way, a very fair and rich canopy, as the ground also, for some ten or twelve paces compass, was covered with cloth of arras. Whilst our gentlemen attended in this place the coming of the king, which was about the space of half an hour, they had the better opportunity to observe these things, as also that before the king's coming, there were already set three score noble, grave and ancient personages, all of them reported to be of the king's privy council. At the nether end of the house were placed a great company of young men, of comely personage and attire. Without the house, on the right side, stood four ancient, comely, hoar-headed men, clothed all in red down to the ground, but attired on their heads not much unlike the Turks. These they called Romans, or strangers, who lay as ledgers there to keep continual traffic with this people. There were also two Turks, one Italian as ledgers, and last of all one Spaniard, who, being freed by the king out of the hands of the Portugals in recovering of the island, served him now instead of a soldier. The king at last coming from the castle, with eight or ten more grave senators following him, had a very rich canopy, adorned in the middest with embossings of gold, borne over him, and was guarded with twelve lances, the points turned downwards. Our men, accompanied with Moro, the king's brother, arose to meet him, and he very graciously did welcome and entertain them. He was of a person, such as we have before described him, of low voice, temperate in speech, of kingly demeanour, and a moor by nation. His attire was after the fashion of the rest of the country, but far more sumptuous, as his condition and state required. From the waist to the ground was all cloth of gold, and that very rich, his legs bare, but on his feet a pair of shoes of cordivant, dyed red. In the attire of his head were finely wreathed in diverse rings of plated gold, of an inch or an inch and a half in breadth, which made a fair and princely show, somewhat resembling a crown in form. About his neck he had a chain of perfect gold, the links very great, and one fold double. On his left hand was a diamond, an emerald, a ruby, and a turkey, four very fair and perfect jewels. On his right hand, in one ring, a big and perfect turkey, and in another ring, many diamonds of a smaller size, very artificially set and couched together. Drake and his men seem to be suspicious that things are almost going too well with the king of Ternate. A lapse of protocol gives Drake more reason to suspect this king. In the next episode, Drake learns more about Ternate and its murderous dispute with the Portuguese. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Long History. If you've enjoyed it, please like and subscribe. Just a quick reminder also that other series are available on Long History, such as Magellan's Voyage Around the World and Columbus's First Journey Across the Atlantic. There's lots to explore. Thank you and goodbye.